what's happening if you're not taking care of your loyal customers or benefiting them you're it's the leaky bucket idea you know like your customers are falling at the bottom which means you have to spend more money on acquisition to fill the top of the bucket and all the time you're taking resources away that could be uh, spent on securing your loyal customers hello and welcome to conversations with each another podcast about designing for people and business my name is Tom Cunningham. I'm a senior visual designer here with each another. And today I'm joined by one of our principal designers, Mr. Brian Heron. How are you, Brian? Pretty good, Tom. Great stuff. So today we're going to be talking about uh, customer experience with a particular focus on the pit of despair when the uh, experience from a customer's point of view tanks. Yeah, so this is something that we kind of identified over the last number of years um we do user journeys a lot at the start of our engagements with customers um with our clients to understand how their customers uh you know feel about their service or their product um and we work across banks we work across uh, other financial institutions retail insurance um a really broad range and you know project after i was i was going recently back through a bunch of research that we'd done and what I discovered was as we plotted up how customers feel at the point after purchase, I realized that the same shape was coming up again and again. And it, the shape is uh, like a slide, like a water slide. You know, it starts off really high and then uh, it slopes straight down um, until it reaches a sort of a, a flat bottom. It's um, uh, and, and we saw this shape repeatedly over multiple projects, multiple industries, multiple clients. And what it is, is it's describing this feeling that customers or purchasers of a product get at the start i mean people want to buy a product that's the thing it's when you buy a product you're usually uh, wanting to be satisfied with it maybe you've researched it maybe you've not uh, but what you want to do is feel like you've made a good choice and what we see is that a lot of co- companies put huge resources into getting that customer and then almost instantly the satisfaction rate drops off and what's interesting is that uh, in a a quick fire retailer, um, you know, that experience drops off really fast. Uh, but if in something like a financial services product that lasts over uh, 20 years, you know, that that drops off over two to three years. So but the shape never changes. It's really weird. It's like uh, what happens is that people buy the product or service uh, and then instantly realize that it's not living up to the marketing promise. Instantly? Uh, yeah, almost instantly. You know, it's the there's a honeymoon period that uh, you know, exists in certain industries. You know, a honeymoon period exists in politics, except for the current American president. But it does exist, and people are willing to give a benefit of the doubt a lot of the time. But it doesn't really exist in business that much. If the product doesn't live up to your experience straight away, you start to experience frustration with it uh, really, really fast. Um, and customers aren't that forgiving, or at least not as forgiving as as maybe you could have once assumed that they would be. So, do you have any particular examples of this kind of thing? Yeah, so you know, you you sign up to a utility company. Um, you know, you're you're going there because it might have a sweetheart deal at the start, uh, you know, better rates or whatever. And what happens over the course of a fairly short period of time, um, your bill starts to creep up. The sweetheart deal ends. You start to see significant increases over the years, and then you see offers that are being given to newer customers, uh, attracting newer customers, and you're left out of these sweetheart rates. Now, obviously, it benefited you for a while. 
but it doesn't benefit you in the longer term. And customers start to get frustrated over that because they're the loyal customer. They're the one that's handing over their money month after month, year after year to the utility. Uh, but the people who are getting the benefit are the brand new customer. Um, so customers start to feel frustration over that and that impacts how they view the organization that they're with. Another great example that I actually saw on Reddit the other day, the Irish Reddit, uh, was a broadband provider. Uh, and in the first month of billing, they had charged on their limited plan, they had charged a customer an extra hundred euro over uh, for usage. So the unlimited plan uh, obviously wasn't unlimited. And if you look in your T's and C's, and there's probably a limit of, you know, could be 30 gigabytes or something ridiculous. Um, but, you know, you buy an unlimited plan, you expect it. And of course, you know, you can say buyer beware. But from a user's perspective, the very first interaction that they have with the company after setting up their broadband is a bill that, that charges them 100 euro more than the flat rate that they expected. Bill shock, yeah. It's a huge shock, right? Because, you know, that they bought in their heads unlimited. The very first interaction they have with the company is negative, And then they're suddenly embroiled in a customer experience uh, chain of contacts, you know, going into the uh, calling the, uh, the the customer service team or getting them on web chat or whatever to try and negotiate down and pretend that they weren't aware of the terms and conditions. And, you know, you can understand how people would be incredibly frustrated um, with that. And, and that's where you see this, you know, water slide type of uh, customer satisfaction scale. So there seems to be a real kind of obsession or focus with acquisition, getting new customers in, you know, sweeten the deal for them, for them and then kind of forget about them. Yeah. And look, that's understandable. Business is based on making sales and getting customers in. So, you know, we're not arguing in any way that we should lose this idea of acquisition. Um, it's... However, maybe out of balance with where the long-term revenues or profit might be coming from in an organization. So the hunger for sales uh, could actually be at odds with the economic underlying economic drivers of the business. So, you know, acquisition costs an absolute ton usually. You know, you're, well, first of all, we just mentioned the sweetheart deals. But second of all, you may be doing huge amounts of advertising or marketing to, to fill it in. What's happening if you're not taking care of your loyal customers or benefiting them, you're it's the leaky bucket idea, you know, like your customers are falling at the bottom, which means you have to spend more money on acquisition to fill the top of the bucket. And all the time you're taking resources away that could be uh, spent on securing your loyal customers. So this obsession with acquisition uh, is an important thing, I think, to be aware of. Uh, you know, if you look at the most profitable customers across banking, insurance, life insurance, utilities, they tend to be multi-year and multi-product customers. Um, so which means that, you know, when you have the customer, uh, satisfied customer, you have the ability to market to them, to grow the business out from the inside. Um, with acquisition, you never really know what you're pulling in at the start of the, at the funnel. Um, and you risk, uh, you know, disenfranchising your user base and you risk losing loyalty with your customers. So the balance is off between the kind of acquisition and retention of existing customers. Yeah, I mean, it certainly can be, um, you know, <laughs> And the balance is an interesting thing to to judge because if you look at the metrics that some companies, particularly telcos, are are looking at, they're using net churn as an indicator. You know, how many customers, what's the difference between the customers leaving and the customers arriving? And net churn can dis disguise a huge amount of the leakiness of your bucket. If you're filling tons in at the top of the bucket, uh, it can dis it disguise that there's fundamental problems in the service that you're providing to your customers. So yeah, absolutely. The balance between acquisition and retention is absolutely key to get right. And currently in most uh, established uh, industries, particularly in, in our country, like that balance is off. 
so you've written a, a blog post around this whole this this topic here. So and one of the examples that you use was a research participant, uh, a taxi driver in particular, who um, spoke about his the attitude that he had towards his insurance. Yeah, I think in the blog post I called him a research participant, uh, but actually he was just a taxi driver uh, that I was taking through town one day. That's the best type of research. I, we were in a taxi during the day. Uh, we, I spoke about it on a previous podcast about just talking to them about the, using the two, like Uber and Halo, and you get great great feedback from them. And actually only yesterday, um, we're in Ireland here, obviously, uh, the brand Halo have changed over to My Taxi, and the taxi driver was just so vocal about it. He goes, I can't believe they changed over. They had it so right with Halo the map is terrible like don't know what's going on x y and z and uh you know it's not like taxi drivers to complain but uh, it's great when you actually see it from the other point of view you know that's that's user test and i was i was tempted to to say only for we had to go into a meeting i was tempted to go do you mind if i record some of this this is this is brilliant so yeah i've definitely done some of that we never stop researching like you're always looking for that killer example you're going to use in a presentation uh so but this uh, (laughs) yeah this example um of the taxi driver was a guy who had been with the same company for 22 years, uh, same insurance company, I should say, for 22 years. And uh, I was uh, I was working on insurance at the time, and I was like amazed by this. I thought, like, you know, this guy is exactly what this company should be looking for. You know, a super loyal customer. Um, and the more I sort of dug into why he was doing it, uh, what he he had this almost mathematically down. He he figured that his insurance premium was going to go up every year. And he didn't have a choice about that. But if he stayed with the same company, he'd be able to call up the customer service or the sales team and say, hey, I've been with you for 22 years. And then there'd be a bit of negotiation. And then he'd get his premium increase knocked down by 50%. So instead of uh, you know a 200 euro increase, he was getting a 100 euro increase. And that's what loyalty meant for him. He was using it as a way to twist the company's arm to get a better deal. It was his crowbar that he was using to leverage them, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought that was a fascinating way to, to look at it. Like, he was weaponizing his quote-unquote loyalty. Um, now, from an insurance company's point of view, you look at him and you're like, great, 22 years, solid performer. Um, but you know that there's a weakness in that, uh, or they don't realize there's a weakness in that, that if you know they don't fulfill his idea of a 50% knockoff on the uh, uh, price increase... Uh, that he'll leave you know he will start shopping around and when you look at this type of loyalty um although that that's a good example of someone who's who's really thinking about it um you see this type of loyalty uh where people are ambiently renewing because it's too much hassle to look around or change or they're satisfied enough for now but too busy to shop around for let's say insurance keeping with the example this um type of loyalty uh this inertia can be a really valuable thing for a, a company right you know they're looking at these people in the books and they stay there for ages and they seem like happy customers mm-hmm. but it's really dangerous because the companies don't realize that that uh loyalty so to speak isn't based on any real um exchange of value that the companies are giving to the customer it's based on the fact that the customer has been too busy that the customer hasn't uh, had another opportunity that's been placed in front of them that they that that they see is better Um, and it means that you're working on a base where you may not see the uh, fundamental weaknesses in the in your current proposition to your customers so you're relying on on your customers just being either too lazy or are not not interested enough to actually check up the check up the numbers yeah right look this is why uh you know you are probably still with the bank that you joined in university um you know it's probably why uh you don't remortgage your house every five years 
um, you know, it's it's probably why, like me, you're paying for both Spotify and Apple Music, right? You know, it's 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 almost like you know, I can't, I I, I should make a decision to leave one or the other, but you know, it's not a, a priority. So why do you say both? I don't want to talk about it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Apple Music started off as an experiment. I know I use it more. Um, but any, in any event but that's a good it's one of those points you mentioned back there I think is around like you know the banks that you're with and who you got your mortgage with and Lara when myself and Lara were working on the future banking project he one of the one of the scenarios that he used was around his mortgage so he he just decided to check and interrogate his, the percentage on his on his mortgage and found out whoa I'm, I could get a much better rate than I'm on right now um, elsewhere I could be saving 400 euro a month um, and it was only when he actually went to the bank and, you know, interrogated, how do I leave? What, what's, you know, what can I do to move to another, to another bank or what can you do? Then they put him onto the retention, uh, the retention uh, department and they managed to drop him down. As I said, like you save 400 euro a month in, within the same company. And like, that might sound like a good thing, but you know, from a user point of view, you're like, it's only because I, I came to you because I threatened to leave you. <laughs> <laughs> that you know you're you're saying please stay and um it's it's not a really it's not a really sound kind of footing to or sound foundation to have a, a build a relationship on you know from a customer no it's like a sort of a weird wheeler dealer thing which is not what you want from your bank like uh uh you know as soon as you get on a call with a retention team you know that they're losing you you know like from an emotional perspective from um, uh, a trust perspective, you know, you're you're on a sort of slippery slope at that point. And sure, okay, you get the discount, so you walk away with a, you know, a better price. But if you know, if you're only competing on price, you're in real trouble because you lose that uh, sense of um, uh, uh, sense of trust that people have for your for your business. And I think that example of Lars is an amazing one because you know it is m- there is a risk for the company there if they don't act quickly to uh secure that business but then you can understand right you know lark could have done that three years ago and they would have lost quite a large amount of money which is great for them and so there is a business choice here about like what kind of business are you and i think increasingly if you really look holistically at the customer um uh, for that multi-year multi-product customer you would have to say well we'll sell each product at a lower margin and try and give the customer better uh, and more transparent value uh, rather than trying to make the most out of a customer on a single product uh, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a really hard thing for businesses to do if they don't have a whole view of the customer or a long-term view of profitability. So a bit earlier, you mentioned uh, value exchange. What do you mean by that? Well, like value exchange is the fundamental of business. We give each other something, right? You know, I pay you and you give me uh fantastic uh ux consultancy i got that uh, sorry we're, we're just when you say value and services that makes me think of the simpsons episode where homer's thinking about money and he, how can i what can i get with this and he's like his brain's explaining to him money can be exchanged for goods and services <laughs> sorry money can be exchanged for goods and services right but when you you know when you when you look at the fundamentals of it like that's what it is right and the question then becomes um uh about if you are in what are you what is that what does that exchange look like and what does that exchange look like over time and um in many of the industries that we deal with they have an acquisition funnel right so you have a moment to purchase and then in most of the industries you deal with there is a post purchase part like it's a service or a product that exists over time or is used over time um it has uh fulfillment 
stuff, uh, fulfillment uh, parts of it. So, you know, does your broadband continue working? And then it has customer service uh, parts to it too. Um, and if you don't continue to fulfill the marketing promise that you made at the start, then that value exchange that you made, the promise you made to your customer starts to get dulled. Um, other examples are, uh, you know, in insurance where you your value exchange is being insured. But, you know, like Eden Bread is, Eden Bread is soon forgotten um, after your insurance purchase, you don't hear anything from them for a year when they start to harass you about your next uh, premium or uh, yeah, your next uh, premium payment um, and the gigantic increase that you're going to have to pay for it. So insurance is a weird one as well because it's invisible. You know, you're paying for this thing that you only, you're, it's only there when you need it, but uh, it's a total grudge purchase. Yeah. Yeah, and we've seen amazing research uh, that we've conducted over the years uh, that shows an incredible relationship between if you've had a claim. you're more loyal you actually see the value of the insurance we know that there's a euro price that's attached to to that like people are more loyal to their insurer after they fulfill that bargain Mm -hmm. the the challenge for insurers is to show value during without a claims process Mm -hmm. because a claims process happens in let's say one one out of ten premiums or one out of ten uh individuals per year so which means of your user base only one in ten people are seeing value from your product and that expression of value can happen in all sorts of ways. I mean, uh, someone put it to me recently, you know, I don't know how you would make uh, an insurance quote, something you talk about down the pub. I don't know either, but I know that, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't say that, you know, booking a cab via my phone would have been something I'd be talking about down the pub either. So I'm not saying that there's a lot of ground to be made in the acquisition fund insurance, but I do think that there's things that could be thought about that would add value to the purchase along the way. I'm not going to tell you what those things are, Tom, because that's proprietary. So this article that you wrote was about the the pit of despair, this water slide, if you will. So we've, we've gone down the water slide, we're down at the at the very uh, nadir or, or lowest point, and then is there a way to kind of bring it back up again? Yeah, so that's like the million euro question, I think. Uh, when we start projects like this, we're, we're being asked to solve well, first identify what the problems are and then solve it. And uh, it it's a really depressing thing to come back a lot of the time to companies and, and say, you know, sorry, there's not one thing that we can do to improve your MPS score or whatever way you're, you're measuring uh, these things. Because it's generally not one thing. It's a whole host, a whole host of uh, interlocking and interdependent um, pieces that are, you know, I've often had slides up that say death by a thousand cuts and cliche that it is that's the way the customers feel it gen- it's generally not one thing or maybe it's one thing but for each user it could be a different thing they're pushing up different aspects of poor customer service experience uh some uh, feature that they thought was available that, but wasn't or some combination of uh, of the the two um and what that means is that uh there's not a single solution it's a holistic view of what customers are going to need from their service um so to get out of it there are a few things you need to do, but none of them are particularly easy. Um, and it's not uh, the same across the board, across companies. Um, are there any commonalities? Yeah, uh, there are some some general things you can look at, right? And uh, one of the key ones is just do the simple things well, right? You know, uh, try and fulfill your promise and make sure that your marketing languages match up to the actual experience that people are likely to receive. Um, and then make sure that the customer service aspect, that the basics of it are in place. You know, 
there was a great example that we worked on in the Middle East for Zurich International, where they wanted to add in lots of different features onto a, a product that they had. Like, so you would log into the product and you're supposed to view your policies and then there was features that were to be added into that. Um, and we asked not to, to create new features. And what we did was we went back and made sure that the very basics of the product were working right. So you could log in well, um, that you could view your policy details really clearly. Um, and that you'd be able to uh, make basic changes to your uh, to your policy. That was what people needed the most, right? It was visibility over their policy issues and then ability to, to make small changes. And that is across the board. It doesn't matter what kind of flashy functionality or you know um, uh, exciting little things that you could, your product can do. As long if the simple things aren't going right, then your customers are going to be dissatisfied by the experience. So that's the first thing: do the simple things well. The second thing that you need to do is to reward the right people. You don't need every customer to be loyal. You just need the right customers to be loyal. So there's no point in making uh, an incredible experience for customers that are you know, not going to be profitable or never going to buy more products or only going to be there for a month and then move on to something else. So what you're looking to do is to segment your user base uh, into groups that are of interest to the business that are likely to be more loyal or who are expensive to serve and there might be better ways to, to deal with them and then to focus your attention on the those groups the most dis- dissatisfied uh, the most profitable uh, the most expensive to serve when you look at those categories of users and then target to them these are valuable user groups uh, and if you can discover what they are going to value and then tailor what you're delivering to them you can uh, do really well. Um, so it, the thing is to make sure that when you're targeting these increases in long-term customer satisfaction, that you're segmenting and targeting the right people. Mm-hmm. One of the other points that you made on the blog was uh, about improvements to your business, that it should be uh, better, f- not just for you, but for the customer, uh, most most importantly. So if you're creating a self-service platform to service your customers, as well as you know, a, a, as an internal goal for operational efficiency, um, that it doesn't, it's not at the cost of the, of the experience from the customer's point of view. Yeah, I think that's a huge reason why we see that, uh, that massive dip, that drop-off in customer satisfaction, because f- to create efficiencies, uh, we've driven customers online to self-serve, and we've created worse customer experiences, right? So people are, are underserved. They're less well-served than they used to be um, and in the name of operational efficiency. And we don't feel that that's a compromise that has to necessarily be made. We think that there is scope for a great self-serve experience in nearly every case that has the, on, uh, the operational efficiencies that companies want without sacrificing um, a, a, an experience that is ultimately better and more efficient for the, for the customer. Um, you know, we believe that you know you need to make small improvements often um, and that's true but almost as important we need to make sure that what we're promising our user when we make these changes to let's say self-serve that it is actually better so you know you often hear things that are launched with huge fanfare and that they just don't live up to expectations you not only have to do that for fulfillment of your core product you also need to do that in the way that you're serving your customers and like these things you know aren't easy to do right of course they're not easy to do and they often require significant changes in the corporate mindset, renewed focus on customer experience. And it's hard to justify that from um, a business case point of view, unless it's linked to loyalty and unless it's linked to long-term revenue and profit. Great stuff. Thanks very much for your time today, Brian. Um, for more information on this topic, check out our, the article on our, on our website, eachnother.com. Uh, Brian, where can people catch you on Twitter and stuff? At Brian Heron with two oars.
and I'm uh, at Tom C Design. Thanks very much for your time and uh, see you again next time.